Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law so that he might redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons because you are sons. God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. His spirit comes to reveal to you that you have a father. Jesus came to reveal to you that you have a father. We, we, we often quote that, that he is the way and the truth and the life and Jesus said those things but he said them unto something. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Guys, he came so that we might come to the Father. So that a generation and a race of, of humanity that was cut off from the source of love, who was cut off from the love of the Father, who was separated from him in our own minds, come back into relationship with a father see you were born into a war and you didn't know it before you knew you had an enemy you had an enemy before you knew that he existed he knew that you existed and he was after your life and so many times so many of us experience things in our lives and, and we ask ourselves why why did this happen we or, or even worse we begin to blame god for it and we say well why did god do this or why did god let this happen but the truth is is we've pinned so much on the father that belongs to the enemy we were born into a war zone with an enemy that came to steal and to kill and to destroy and ever since you were born he's been after you because he wants to destroy your life he wanted to lead you into things that would bind you up. He wanted people to do things to you that would bind you up, that would change you, that would alter you, that would make you ashamed, would make you feel guilty, would make you feel less than, would make you feel isolated and alone and make you feel like you're the only one and make you feel ashamed to be you. Because he knew that if you ever saw who God created you to be, he'd never have a voice in your life. And so he started at a young age. He started before you knew that you were in a war. See, every one of us was born into sin. Every one of us was born into Adam. Every one of us was born with that pull towards something or some things. All of us, before anybody taught us, were selfish. Every one of us was driven by our own need, our own desire, our own want, our own selfishness. Every single one of us was born into that. Nobody taught you to want the toy. Nobody taught you to punch and to push and to pinch, to bite. Nobody had to teach you that. The fall of man taught you that. And every one of us was born into that. And some of us went further than others, but every one of us went astray. And some of us experienced more of other people going astray than others did. Some of us were touched in horrible ways by evil, by people that had no idea who they were. So the best they could do was live at your expense. And from a young age, most of us had no idea who we were, had no idea who he was. 
But then the voice of the Spirit came and began to speak to us, telling us about the love of a father revealed through the sacrifice of a son, telling us that we were created to be loved, telling us that we were more than the mistakes that we made and more than the mistakes that were made against us. Revealing that we had a loving Father in heaven who created us for good works that we should walk in them. Who loved us before we knew he existed. That while we were at our worst, he looked at us and gave us his best. A free gift. But, but for many of us, it's too hard to believe because we've always been taught if you want something in life, you have to work for it. If you want it, you have to earn it. Nothing in life comes free. The wisdom of this world taught us that we couldn't just receive this freely. There had to be something that we could do. And so, so many of us from an early age got trapped into this cycle where we believed that God loved us as long as we did. And so then we became performance-based. And I feel like there's a ton of people right now that are listening to my voice that have lived in a performance-based life where I feel like if I do, then he does but if I don't then he doesn't and so I'm even doing good things but I'm not doing them out of his love for me flowing through me I'm doing them because I believe if I do enough then I could stand before him and he would love me because I believe that who I am isn't good enough but if I could just if I get up early every morning, that's amazing as long as I'm getting up every morning because I want him, not because I think it makes him want me. If I just read, man, reading the Bible is amazing as long as I'm reading it to discover who he is and who he created me to be, not thinking that he'll look down and see what book I have open and love me more. If I just worship hard enough, then maybe he'll come. No, worship is amazing, but not if we think that what we're doing brings him. But we're worshiping because he already came. And yeah, he's enthroned on the praises of his people, but he's not wanting us to praise him to be enthroned. Because then it's not true praise, it's manipulation. It's if I sing this, then maybe he will, rather than realizing he has, and so I sing. If I go to church every Sunday, man, gathering with the body of Christ is amazing, but not if it makes me feel like I deserve to be loved because I'm here. See, this is what Paul was talking about when he said, the love of God compels us. Look at everything that Paul did. He did so much. He traveled on mission trips. He brought the gospel to the ends of, of, of the region that he was in. He saw people healed. He saw uh, the, the lame walk. He saw all these things happen. He saw every single miracle. But at the end of all of it, none of that stuff was done so that God would approve of him. It was done because he believed that God approved of him. It was done because the love of God actually compelled him. And so what he was doing was freely he's received, now freely he's given. Not giving so that I can receive. See, we can only freely give what we believe we've freely received. Anything we believe that we've earned, we can't give freely away. And I also feel like there's a lot of people right now that are struggling with isolation.
where we've, we've bought into this lie that, well, I really don't need anybody else because I have God. Listen, Adam was walking in the garden with God every single day. He talked with him. He beheld him. He heard him speak, and he spoke to him as a friend. He co-labored with him. He did everything God created him to do. He had perfect relationship with God, unhindered by any sin. This was before sin entered the garden. Adam is walking every single day with the Lord, and yet God looks down and says, it's not good for man to be alone. What do you mean alone? He had the Lord. No, there was something that God said, it's not good, because there's nowhere for him to pour out, and there's no way for him to reproduce what I'm pouring into him. So he reaches into Adam and he pulls Eve out. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. And two became one again. For the purpose of reproducing through love. God takes the ability to reproduce and he places it within the context of the marriage covenant so that reproduction would be the result of love. He gives us this beautiful intimacy between a man and a woman, and he places it within the context of a marriage covenant, not because he doesn't want Adam to enjoy intimacy with a woman, it's because he wants Adam to enjoy intimacy with a woman in the context he created it for, so that it would be out of love and not out of need. And I, I know this because the Spirit of the Lord, but I also know just from talking to people. One of the most perverted things right now on the face of this earth is sexuality. And it all stems from the same thing. It's trying to find through something that God created, something that can only be received by the creator and rather than it being an expression of and the flowing of love out of us it becomes a way to try to find something at the expense of another it's twisted and I feel like right now there's a lot of people and I think they go hand in hand because isolation and feeling alone causes us to look for connection and to desire intimacy. And the world has a million ways that it offers, but none will bring what only he can give. And in the end, we'll feel more empty and more alone than we did at the beginning. But now there'll be another voice speaking and it'll be a voice of accusation, it'll be a voice of guilt, it'll be a voice of shame. And here's the thing, when we agree with that voice, it becomes established as truth in our life. The Apostle Paul said, let, by the mouths of two or three, let every fact be established. 
Remember when, when God was walking in the garden with Adam? And he comes into the garden, and for the first time, Adam doesn't come running to him. You know that something has happened. You know that there's been a breach of relationship. You know that there's been something that has come in. There's been an accusation made. There's been another voice speaking. When rather than wanting to be in the presence of God, we want to hide from the presence of God. And Adam's hiding, and God comes walking into the garden. He says, Adam, where are you? Obviously, he's not wondering where Adam is. He's asking Adam to assess, where am I? And Adam responds and says, I I heard you coming, and I was afraid, so I hid because I was naked. And instantly the Lord speaks and says, who told you you were naked? Adam heard a voice other than the Lord's, and then he agreed with it. And then he lived in the truth that that voice spoke, telling him that he had something to hide, something to be ashamed of, and a reason to be afraid. And when two mouths speak something in agreement, it establishes it. That's why we have to be very careful about the voice that we're listening to and the voice that we're giving our voice to. That's why I feel like the Lord has been just wanting to pour out of me lately that he loves us and that we would believe and receive his love for us. So that we could actually love who he's made us to be. Because it it does no good for us and it brings no glory to him to put ourselves down to debase ourselves and to to accuse ourselves and to say things about us that he doesn't say. And I just feel like there's for so many people right now, the Lord is asking, who told you? There's things coming out of your mouth that when the Lord hears, he's asking, who told you that? You didn't hear that from me. Who told you that? Because I hear what you're saying, but it's not my voice. So who told you that? It would be a good thing to ask ourselves. Who told me that? Did he tell me that? Can I find it in his word in the life of Jesus which revealed the love of the Father? If I can't find it there, then it's not from him. The Apostle Paul said, listen, I'm the least deserving to be an apostle because I persecuted the church. But then he says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. If you can't say that about what you believe about yourself, if it's not the grace of God that's made you what you believe that you are, then it's not who you were created to be. It's not who you truly are. It's a a horrible, horrible perversion of who you were meant to be. And the problem is, is that if you believe that's who you are, then you'll live as though that's true. And then that stronghold will be established in your mind. 
And all of a sudden, that voice will be the loudest voice that speaks. And you'll have no, no, nothing to do but agree with it because your experience will say that it's true. And because you say that it's true, it'll become your experience again and again and again and again. And pretty soon, you're saying all kinds of things about yourself, believing all kinds of things about yourself that he never said about you. And I feel like this morning, the Lord wants to ask, who told you that? That voice that's accusing and, and calling you and telling you and saying this and saying that, making accusation against him, making accusation against you, making accusation against other believers. Who told you that? Where did that come from? We talk to ourselves all day long. Is what I'm saying to myself what he's saying to me? Is what I'm saying to others what he's saying about them? See, we can either be another voice that establishes truth in people's lives, or we can be another voice that establishes accusation and lies in other people's lives. And before I speak something to someone, I should probably ask myself, before I say it to somebody else, I should ask myself, who told me that? Where did that come from? And if it didn't come from him, then it's probably not worth repeating because I may be the second or the third voice that they're hearing. They may have the enemy, they may have themselves, and now I have a third voice confirming that word over their lives and establishing a stronghold in their mind. Or we can be the voice of truth that speaks what he's saying. Remember when he's, when he's, when he's washing the, the disciples' feet? He tells Peter, he says, I have to wash your feet. And Peter says, you're never going to wash my feet, Lord. Isn't it funny? They, the, the disciples always knew what the Lord should do. They always knew. And usually he was wrong. They're going to come and kill me. I'll never let it happen. We should go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill you there. That's not a good idea. I need to wash your feet. I'll never let that happen. When are you going to betray me? Not me. And Peter says, you're not washing my feet. Jesus says, it's, it's right for me to do that, Peter. You need for me to do that, Peter. And Peter says, well then, one extreme to the other. One minute huddling in fear in a boat, the next minute, all right, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come out on the water. No middle ground. He goes from, you're never going to wash my feet, to, well, then if you're going to wash my feet, then wash all of me. And Jesus says this to Peter. He says, not all of you needs to be washed. You're already clean for the word that I spoke to you. What's he saying? He's saying, when you hear my voice speak, it comes and it removes all the junk that the world has piled on. All the years of dust and grime, the lies, the accusations, listen, the things that we did when we had no idea what we were doing. He says, when my word comes, Peter, it's like water that washes that all off of you. And now you're clean. 
The only part of you that I need to continually wash with the water of my word, Peter, is your feet because it comes into contact with the world. And every now and then some stuff tries to cling to you. Every now and then you come back in the house and you brought a little mess back in with you. And you need me to just wash that back off of you. But it doesn't make you unclean, Peter. It just means there's a lie that's trying to cling to you that the water of my word needs to wash off of you doesn't change the fact that you're clean, Peter. I've already made you clean. This is the same Peter that would later hear God say, what God has cleansed, let no man call unholy. This Peter was told by Jesus, you're clean, Peter, because of my word. But you went out today, and you went out into a world that isn't clean. It doesn't make you unclean. It just means that any part of the world that would try to cling to you and try to become part of you and try to bring, stick to you so that wherever you go, you bring it with you. Ever, you ever been in a car and you smell something? And you're like, all right, who stepped in it? That's what it's like. It's it's the lies of the enemy. It's the, the world that we live in that's trying so hard to fashion us and shape us and mold us. It wants to cling to us. It, it wants to grab hold of us. And it wants to be, to, to be something that we go and spread everywhere that we go. So that it doesn't just smell on us. It smells everywhere that we go. And, 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 and we're supposed to be the aroma of heaven to them that are being saved. Not the sound of death to them that are being saved. It says we're, we're the aroma of death to those that are unsaved. Why? Because our life is a conviction to them. But to them that are being saved, we're supposed to smell like heaven. So Jesus says, Peter, listen, there's just a little bit of you that got some stuff on you that I don't want on you. So let me wash that part without you despising what I've already done. A little bit of dirt on your feet doesn't change the fact that you're already clean. A little bit of dirt on you because of someone that had dirt on them touching you doesn't make you unclean. But it's why we're supposed to love others as we love ourselves. Why we're supposed to love him first. Why do we have to love him first? Because we can't love him without believing that he first loved us. So in order to to do our part, we have to believe that he did his part. He set it up that way. Why? He never wants us feeling like we have to do something to earn it. He wants us to believe that before we did the first thing right, he already loved us and revealed his love for us by the death and and resurrection of his son who died on the cross for us and as us. He became our sin that knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And we have to actually believe that in order to be able to love him because we can only love because he first loved us. And then once we believe that he loves us, it changes something. It should change the way that we see ourselves because no longer do I see myself as unworthy of love because if he loved me that much, there must be more to me than I know. He must believe something about me that maybe I don't even believe about myself. But I'll spend my life discovering who he made me to be. And if I love who he's made me to be, then I can love others for who he's made them to be. And one of the descriptions when it talks about love in Corinthians, we talked about this a few weeks ago, it says that love keeps no record of wrong. 
And so many times we hear that as, as you know, it doesn't hold on to an offense, but it, it forgives people. And that is completely and totally true. But so many of us are walking around keeping a record of the wrong that was done to us in a way that defines us by what was done to us rather than by what was done for us. And so we see ourselves as the victim who was abused, who was taken advantage of, who was overlooked, who was never picked, who was made fun of, who was all these things that that happened to us and and they've become part of the way that we see ourselves and so many of us are walking around holding on to what was done to us rather than grabbing tightly to Jesus and all that he did for us. And and so many times that gets preached as, well, you know, you have to forgive or you're going to walk in bitterness. But the truth of the matter is, is this. Sometimes we forgive people for what they did, but we still believe that we're the product of what was done to us. So we see ourselves as damaged, scarred, less than, less than valuable. And we never believe that that stuff all really did pass away and that the new came when we became born again. And so we, 